open your Bibles with me for a few moments this morning. I want to go to the book of Exodus. I'm going to the book of Exodus chapter 8 and verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you, on your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day... I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no fly, no swarms of flies shall be there in order that they may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this will be a sign that you and you shall see. In verse 24, and the Lord did so thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and his servants' houses and to, into all of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarm of flies. One more verse of scripture, verse 31. The Lord did according to the word of Moses and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, I love this next part, from his servants and from the people, not one fly remained. I love that. God knows how to get it done. Not one. And I'm preaching today on God's no-fly zone. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, uh, I heard the Lord say in my heart, to tell the people today to get ready because that call is going to come. God knows how to turn a mess into a miracle. God is a God of turnaround. God has a moment where he draws a line and says enough is enough. God can turn it around speedily. He said, let my people go that they can worship and they can serve me. And if you don't, swarms of flies are going to fill the land, Pharaoh. They're going to fill every home. They're going to be all over the food. They're going to be all over the crops. They're going to be on you in your homes. You won't be able to get it. Even the very ground when you stand, they'll be crawling around. They'll be flying swarms, swarms of flies, not just flies, swarms of flies. Sometimes when I uh, preach out in California, I'll go run on the beach and there are deserted parts of the beach and, and the sea moss and seaweed will come up on the on the beach and they, they, they're very, it's horrible when you're running along and you forget and you don't look down and there's swarms of flies, uh, swarms, uh, they, they just engulf you. And I think about that, how horrible that would be for day after day after day, flies everywhere. 
And, and all of the Egyptians will have it in their homes, in their families, on their children, on their babies, on their young toddlers, flies, on everything. But then he said, but in that day I will sever and draw a line in the sand, and my people will dwell in Goshen, and there will be no flies there. In other words, in Egypt, and you got to understand the Israelites were in Egypt and there was the Egyptians neighborhoods and they were beautiful homes and beautiful, but they ran right up on Goshen, which was where the slum area was, where the Jews, the Israelites had to live. They were slaves and their homes looked like it and they were full of flies in Egypt. But God said, I'm going to draw a line and there'll be no more flies in Goshen. My people will be sitting out in the backyard, in the shade of a tree, enjoying the weather, sipping lemonade, kick back, watching you Egyptians being tormented, trying to shoo the flies away, but you can't. They're everywhere and we'll be right next to you, but there will be a no-fly zone that God will decree that those flies that... That, that, that love death and dying and deterioration and going down and rotting and, and putrefaction, they will not come into that land called Goshen, even though you'll watch them and see them on the Egyptians. I sovereignly am going to draw a line of separation. I believe that we're in a time now after coming out of the pandemic where God is drawing some lines in the sand. This is important. The first three plagues that Moses released, the Israelites went through the same horror and plague and suffering that the Egyptians went through. God did not exempt his people from the first three plagues. The first three plagues was he turned the water to blood. The second one is the frogs. Frogs were everywhere. Frogs were in the bed. They were on the table. They were everywhere. They were, and you could not move all night long. They were on you. We can't even imagine this, this torment. And then if that wasn't bad enough, he released the third plague, which was lice. And the lice was there as swarms and swarms of it on the people. And it wasn't just on the Egyptians. These tormenting plagues and suffering came to the Israelites, God's people. Why would God allow his people to suffer? Why does God let things happen to us that happens to everybody else? Just because you have faith and just because you pray and just because you believe God does not mean that you will not find yourself in a faith fog where you don't understand. And you're saying, God, I understand why that person's going through that, but I don't understand why good people suffer and good people go through tragedies and good people have heartbreaks and good people have things go bad and go south in their life. I don't understand that. But here is a great lesson in this. God allowed the Israelites to suffer just like the Egyptians, and here's the reason why. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 38, the Bible said that when they came out of Egypt, they came out a mixed multitude. It wasn't just, please understand what that means. You read right over that and you don't see it. 
But when the plague started breaking out, the first three, those Egyptians watched those Israelites and noticed how suffering affected them. It did not turn them off to God. It turned them more on to God. It made them worship more. It made them praise more. It made them believe even greater. And while they were suffering, they were suffering the same hardships, but their gods didn't give them the peace that they had. Their gods didn't give them the assurance that they had. Their gods did not comfort them like their gods. God comforted them, and there was something about suffering that caused a line to be drawn, and God allows us to suffer just like other people to suffer to show the contrast between how Egyptians or unbelievers in this case, how they suffer and the contrast between when they go through hard times and we go through hard times how Egyptians suffer, and how Israelites suffer. I want to ask you a question. Has how you suffered caused an Egyptian to want to convert? Because when it said they were a mixed multitude, it meant that some of the Egyptians, when they saw the Israelites suffering and how they still maintained their faith and their joy and their confidence in their God, they said, I'm leaving the gods of Egypt and I'm joining with their God and with that people. And the question that we need to ask ourselves when we go through suffering is, am I suffering in such a way that my suffering turns people to God? Has what I've been through caused an Egyptian or an unbeliever to, to want my God? You see, the world suffers differently from the Israelites or the believers. The world, when it suffers, it goes and it gets lit up. It gets wasted. People get wasted. People have affairs. People lose their minds. They get hopeless and helpless. But when the real Christian suffers, he does not get embittered. He does not turn his back on God, but he actually turns that suffering into an opportunity to even glory in my infirmities, as Paul said, and draw nearer to Christ and turn the pain into praise and even more confident that God will do it. Job was a prime example. Job lost his family. Job lost his health. Job lost his business. Job lost everything, but he did not lose his confidence in God and he did not stop worshiping God. He simply raised his hands when he was suffering and everybody was looking at at him suffering. And he said, I'm going to suffer in a way that shows people my God's not just a God of the mountains, but he's God of the valley. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when you can worship even when you're suffering, even when you've lost a loved one, when a tragedy hits, when you're standing at the grave of somebody, a child, a son, I've watched Christians learn how to suffer in such a way that it begins to convert those who do not know Christ. That's a powerful, powerful thing. You see, a child of God suffers differently 
than an Egyptian. In Acts 16, there were a bunch of prisoners in the jailhouse, but two of them were Israelites, and they were different, and they were suffering. Their backs were lacerated. They were in chains. They were being tortured. But the Bible said at midnight, in the darkest hour, they did not complain. They did not have pity on themselves. They threw up their hands, and they sang praises unto God in a prison of pain. Sometimes when you're in a prison of pain and you can't get out, what do you do when you have cancer? What do you do when, when you don't know where to turn? What do you do when something's wrong with you and you can't get relief from the suffering? In a prison of pain, they said it's dark in here, but this is what Christians do. This is how we fight our battles. We don't quit. We don't give up. We start praising the Lord in the midnight hours of our life. Hallelujah. And you know what? The prison of pain didn't hold them. Glory, glory, glory. I don't know what joy they have. I could hear the other prisoners in my mind when writing this. I, I could hear the other prisoners down the, down the block there saying, I don't know what they've got, but I wish I had it. I don't know how they praise the Lord after how they've been treated. They're not bitter. They're not unforgiving. And even the jailer said, my God, I need what you've got. Will you please come to my house? And they said, not only are you going to get it, but your whole house is going to get it. Because that's what happens when Christians suffer and they don't quit believing God. I'm preaching to somebody. I can't promise you you won't go through tribulation. I can't promise you you won't cry tears. I can't promise you hell won't attack your family. But I can promise you great is thy faithfulness. I can promise you there's power, power, wonder-working power and you're going to get that phone call and God is going to turn it around because that's the kind of God he is. Give him a praise and I'll calm down. Come on and praise him at every campus. Give him a mighty shout of victory if you believe it. Maybe you're suffering today in some area of your life. You can't believe how life has turned out, but we don't quit. We throw our hands up and we declare he's still good. He's still God. He's still on the throne and he will still bring this to pass. Suffer in such a way that the world wants your God. If you're going to go through it, don't go through it moping. Don't go through it whining and having a pity party and feeling sorry for yourself. Stand up. Through the pandemic, I watched hell attack my family and my home. But I'm here today to declare that I believe a line has been drawn now. I believe we're through the worst of it. Tell somebody I'm not dead. I'm still alive. It killed a lot of people that we loved. It killed a lot of people in this church. And the plague was real. And we all went through it emotionally and physically and spiritually. But a line is being drawn. And God is decreeing the death and the destruction. And the flies that are drawn to it. And Beelzebub, the Lord of flies. You know, he's called that seven times in the Bible. Satan, Beelzebub, Lord of the flies. But God can, God can decree a no-fly zone. You see, Jesus, the Bible said, 
when he was reviled, but he reviled not back against them. They reviled him. They attacked his character. They attacked him. They mocked him. They ridiculed and reviled him, and he reviled not. Why? Because he had to suffer. That's what makes us be converted to Christians when we saw him carrying that cross and he was suffering. Had he had a perfect life like a king is supposed to, then, then, then we wouldn't relate to him. But it's the fact that he bled and he suffered just like us that we can relate to him. And when you understand that, we're living epistles and we are being watched by people when we're suffering. People watch you more when you're going through hell. People watch you more when your marriage is in trouble and you feel like quitting, but you don't. And you grab each other's hands and you fall to your knees and you plead the blood. And when the world says give up and quit, you say, I can't quit because I've got a promise. And God says, I see that kind of faith. And the world says whatever they've got is real. It's not a show either. It's real. Here's, what, here's how you move into Goshen. How many of you would like for God to draw a line now? After all we've been through, after all that we've gone through, how many of you would like to see God declare over our houses? Because the flies were in the houses, according to the text. But he said, this is a no-fly zone. I believe today that we're in a time that we can step into Goshen. How do you do that? You have to live in the freedom of forgiveness. In other words, there's got to be an attitude shift that has to happen in our heart and in our spirit before we move into Goshen. We have to forgive. Forgiveness needs to gush out of us right now. We need to get as much conflict resolved with any and everybody right now. Forgiveness needs to ooze out of us because God's ready to move us into Goshen, but you can't go into Goshen until you're walking in the freedom of forgiveness. What converts an Egyptian is when they see how God's people respond to being done wrong. They don't get bitter. They don't get angry. They don't get hateful. They don't get mean. They don't get unforgiving. They begin to gush with the freedom of forgiveness. Have you suffered in such a way that your suffering wins souls or does it embitter people? You don't fall out of love if you're married. You don't fall out of love. You fall out of forgiveness. Relationships are sustained by forgiveness. And if you don't have relationship with people, it's because it's not being sustained by forgiveness. The only thing that sustains any human relationship is forgiveness. And the day you stop giving it, then suddenly the flies come because there's decay, there's deterioration, there is that, that, that rotting, there is that 
that dying of that. But the moment that you say, I forgive, not in word, but in heart and in spirit, look out. God says, I declare a fly-free zone. A shoe fly. Oh, y'all ain't going to preach with me, but I don't need your help. I'll preach to my own self. Glory to God. Preach. Hallelujah. Suffer differently. Suffer differently. I'm not a victim. Yeah, we went through stuff. Our family went through stuff. But I'm not defeated this morning. I'm not beat up this morning. I've been through it, but you're not going to know it by the look on my face. And you're not going to hear it in my words. Glory to God. And by the way, you're not going to smell it on me. I'm going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible said they went through the fire, but there was no smell of smoke in their clothes. Yeah, it didn't smell like and look like and sound like the hard thing they had been through. Stop whining. Stop whining. Turn to somebody and say, are you still pitiful? Good preaching. Amen. What are you doing? I'm complimenting myself. I'm not beat. I, I, I don't look like what I've been through. Are you still plugged into pity? You don't know what they did to me. You can't have pity and power at the same time. So just live in the past. Just live in it. Let the grudge go. Let the bitterness go. Let the unforgiveness go. And you know what? You won't just free them. You'll free yourself. Welcome to Goshen. There's life here. There's light here. There's favor here. There's provision here. You'll be sitting in the shade sipping lemonade saying, look what the Lord has done when you let go of bitterness. A scab is something that tries to heal a wound. And there are things that happen Years ago, some five years ago, and just about the time that it heals, you take your dirty little fingernails and you scrape it off and then the healing has to start all over again. And wounds that have been there for year after year after year, turn to somebody beside you and say, take your dirty fingernails out of that and let it heal. A scar, a scar is proof that you left something alone long enough to let it heal. Zip your mouth, throw up your hands, and pray to God, and release forgiveness, and watch God begin to heal relationships and broken places in your life. God said, I am decreeing, for my people only, the ones who truly forgive, the ones who truly refuse to be embittered, 
the ones who love me even when they don't understand what I let them go through. Boy, there's some in this church. They've lost sons. They've lost daughters. They've gone through hell. They've, and they still are here with a smile on their face. That's a Christian. And he said, I'm decreeing a no-fly zone. Why did he wait until the fourth plague to draw the line? Why flies? Why didn't he do it with lice? Why didn't he do it with frogs? Why didn't he do it with blood in the water and dead fish everywhere? Why did he only draw the line on the fourth plague and from then on, the plagues were not a part of the Israelites' suffering. I believe it's because flies signify death. Flies signify decomposition, deterioration, decay. And when God drew a hard line, the text said, and said, no flies, They'll come, they'll come right up to the line, but they cannot cross over. No, not, the text said not even one. Not even one. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the things that God has spoken to you. And the flies which represent death and deterioration and decay that have whispered, just buzz, just give up, just forget it. It's not getting better, it's getting worse because all of us know what it's like to walk through the woods and see an animal that's dead and decaying. And one thing you'll find is flies or fruit that is spoiling. One thing that you will see as it's decaying and deteriorating and de decomposition has set in and uh, decay has set in. One thing that you will see decomposing, tearing down, going down more and more and more is flies, flies, flies come to the rotten fruit and the dead animal. God declares a no-fly zone over our prophetic words that we have been given. God declares a no-fly zone over the dreams that he's placed in our hearts and the vision that he's given us for household salvation. God declares a no-fly zone. It's a no-fly zone to death and to ruin and to devastation and to ultimate destruction. I believe with all of my heart that today we can see God begin to move in our lives again and have over this church and over your family a no-fly zone. It's not going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Any voice is telling you to accept decay and death and devastation and more and more and more is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit says there's life here. There's miracles here. There's light here. There's victory here. I feel that. I feel that. I don't have to have it yet. I feel that line being drawn and Beelzebub and the flies are limited. We forgot greater is here that is in us. We forgot that 
The weapon may be formed, but God said it will not prosper. We forgot that they meant it for our evil, but God meant it for our good. And when you release forgiveness, God says it's a no-fly zone. No flies are allowed in this situation. And you ought to act like you're alive. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible said he, I, I love the scripture, I preached the whole sermon on it. The scripture said he showed himself alive. I'm not dead, I'm alive. And it's time to declare, to lift your voice in faith and declare God's promise over your family, over your finances, over your business, no flies. No, my business isn't going poorer and poorer and deeper and deeper in, in debt and in pain and in, in brokenness and in failure. No, this is a no-fly zone. I've given this business to God, and I know he knows how to heal. Say that over your marriage. Say it over your children. Say it over that child that's a drug addict or an alcoholic. No-fly zone. No more devastation. No more decay. No more rot in Jesus' name. I can't preach it like I preached it in the earlier service or even to myself. Because my greatest sermons, I don't preach in here. I can preach to myself when I'm in somewhere just preaching. How do you do that? I just preach like I'm preaching right now. And it comes to me. And my only hope is that I can remember some of it. But I wrote this down. No flies here. We're taking back our sons and our daughters. We're taking back our prophetic promises. We're taking back our dreams and our visions. We're taking back the promise of God that he made us concerning greater works than these shall you do. So throw up your hands and declare in Jesus' name a no-fly zone over your family, over your marriage, over your children, over your grandchildren. Boy, it takes faith sometimes when you're looking in the natural and you see hell doing everything it can to destroy the generations in your family. But you need to stand right there and say, wait a minute, Mr. Devil. There's a line drawn. It's called the bloodline. And I'm here to decree today that no weapon formed will prosper. This family belongs to God. These children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren belong to God. Lift your voice if you're not ashamed to praise Him. Stand up on your feet and give Him a shout. Somebody lift your voice and praise Him. Shoo the fly away. Shoo it away. That fly of death off of your body. The enemy will tell you when you get sick, you just might as well accept that you're not going to get any better. You're getting old. You're getting weak. You're getting feeble, no fly zone. I know I'm getting older, but I tell you, I believe that the path of the righteous groweth brighter and brighter. Hallelujah. Raise your hands and give him a shout if you believe. Oh, come on here. Give him a shout from your heart if you believe. Lord, I believe your word today. This is a no fly zone. 
There's family members of thousands of people at every campus in the altar. You can't see them, but if you come here, there's a, there's a grid, and up under the grid, there are thousands of pictures of family members. And I'm just walking over them right now. And I'm saying, this is a no-fly zone, devil. This is a no-fly zone. Revival's gonna win in our families, not hell. I said the Holy Ghost outpouring of Joel chapter two. I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. And it's gonna require forgiveness. Forgiveness. Get over the pity and get ready for power. Every relationship is only sustained by forgiveness. You don't learn that. You're single, you get married, you're gonna learn that real quick. You cannot have a relationship with anybody without forgiveness. You believe that? I said, do you believe that? Who am I preaching to this morning? I just feel like we need to, I just feel like we need to gather down here, down front as families and just decree a no-fly zone and then say, God, help me to shoo the flies away with praise. So if I'm preaching to you and you know this is a word from the Lord for you and your family, get out of your seat and come stand down here in absolute confidence that God is drawing a hard line, as my text said, a hard line between your house and hell's house. Come on and seek the Lord. Come on and say, God, I'm giving you my situation again. I'm giving you my business. Get in as close as you can because there's a lot of people coming. Get in as close as you can. That's it. Now, as you come, lift your hands in praise and lift your voice in praise and begin to say, I'm not going to see any more flies and death and devastation and destruction. I'm going to see victory. I'm going to see victory. I'm going to see victory in my home. I'm going to see victory in my business. I'm going to see victory about the dreams and prophetic promises. No flies. No deterioration. No more. No more. No more. Worship Him all over this house. Worship Him all over this house. Yes, it does. I'm going to see victory. Speak it over your calling. Speak it over your ministry. Speak it over opportunity. The enemy loves to tell us that it's going smaller and smaller instead of bigger and bigger. The voice of God is bigger. The voice of God is bigger and greater. Hallelujah. No more flies. No more flies. No more destruction. No more decay. No more death. No more decomposition. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to see for my battle. He's drawing some lines. He's saying to the enemy, enough is enough. Enough is enough. 
every head bowed and every eye closed if you're in this place and you don't know that you're right with God you came to the right church today the Lord brought you here you're going to find forgiveness because you're going to release forgiveness and Jesus is going to wash you and cleanse you and you're, you're, you're moving into Goshen no more flies, no more destruction, no more death, no more giving up, no more it's over, it's finished. What's the use? That's not where you belong. You have a hope and you have a future and his name is Jesus. He has plans for you, steps for you, a journey for you. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not right with God. I need to get back to God. Or I'm not saved. I need to get saved. I'm, I'm backslid. I'm far from Him. I'm messed up. I've fallen. Pray for me. I want to get right today. Pray for me. If that's you, boldly lift your hand as high as you can get it, right where you're standing. That's it. That's it. That's it. Raise it high and unashamed. There's no shame in this. There's victory in it. Powerful, 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 powerful. Keep your hand raised just another moment. If you're standing around someone with their hand raised, look all around you. And if you're standing around someone with their hand raised, gently lay your hand on their shoulder as an act of support, as an act of faith, as an act of agreement. And pray this prayer out loud. Everybody say these words. A miracle is going to happen here this morning. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I believe that the Word of God has declared victory for me, victory for my family, victory for my future. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And you said in your word, you would not remember my past and hold it against me anymore. I can't be held captive by my past. You set me free. I'm in Goshen now, and the flies of death and the old life cannot come here. It's a no-fly zone. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I am a child of God. Now just praise Him a minute. Don't rush through that moment. This is the moment you'll point hell back to. This is the moment where you will say five years from now, the battle was won right there. That was a defining moment in my life. To God be the goal. 
We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin and thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at jensenfranklin.tv.